I just want a guy who is tall, dark, and handsome. No matter what girls say about their preferred types or features that they want in a potential boyfriend, I'm going to say confidence is number one. For example, you could be the best looking guy in the world, but if you're shy, with nothing interesting to say or nothing going for you, don't expect to find everlasting happiness. On the other hand, though, if you look like every average or below average Joe, but are armed with a love for life, ambition, and confidence to match, I can guarantee you're going to do well. It's by no means a foolproof hypothesis. And like anything, there will always be a few exceptions. But women can't say no to someone who oozes confidence. But I'm not talking about the cocky or sweltering with arrogance types, which are byproducts of too much confidence. I'm talking about the right mix of humour, <laughs> charm, and the ability to keep someone enthralled in conversation. And I'd always shown glimpses of that. But I didn't realise I had that in abundance until Jess. And the night I sort of slept with Leah Ruddock. As a person, Leah was one of a kind, caring beyond measure and honest, but a spitting image of Tracy Beaker, the fictional character, not the actress who plays her. She was nothing special and lived in another flat in halls also. Whenever we pass each other on campus, we would stop and talk. But from the off, there was no attraction towards her whatsoever. She always struck me as another loyal member of the Liam fan club, who literally hung on my every word and was one of the few who stood in my corner following the India incident. So although we had very little in common, I made it my duty and responsibility under the guise of being a warden to be there for her when she needed someone to talk to. It was my way of saying thank you for not judging me. But I knew I had to keep her at arm's length because she was someone who looked at me with more than adulation. You can never have too many friends. And I certainly wasn't in desperate need of any. But she massaged my ego. And in return, I listened to her tales of woe. The lack of father figure in her life. And how much living with messy boys annoyed her. I don't know what possessed me to get involved with her that evening. But I was bored and just wanted something to do. Ah, uh, what to do, what to do, what to do. It wasn't planned. 
And had I not suffered the event of the last few months, I would have happily spent my evenings alone. But I had become absolutely addicted to the attention on all fronts and was willing to push buttons at any expense. Jess throwing herself at me was the start of that. But I figured dangling a proverbial carrot in front of someone else just for the sake of it would be a real test of my newfound abilities. My confidence had skyrocketed and I'd become so arrogant that I believed I could have anyone I wanted dependent on my efforts shown and the level of boredom on any given day. Messing around with Leah was proof of that and I can't tell you how bored and uninterested I was that evening. That's not to say I was sat with my thumb up my ass with absolutely nothing to do though because I was actually on warden duty that night although I was sat watching TV and drinking a bottle of rosé wine alone in my room. Boredom is like a fly that just won't leave you alone no matter how much you try to swat or bat it away. So after an hour of mind-numbing TV shows, I found I couldn't sit still and enjoy my own company for one night. I wanted an audience with someone and as I was limited to where I could go and what I could do and not exactly inundated with potential worthwhile suitors, I was short on choices. I waded up for a bit, unsure if the consideration was worth my time, but quickly decided a little bit of attention wouldn't hurt and chose the one and only person I knew who held a soft spot for me. So I text Leah and asked her if she wanted to join me, to which of course she accepted and within 10 minutes her and I were sat on my corner sofa watching American Dad and talking. A further half an hour or so passed before the effects of the alcohol kicked in and with it I became more convinced I was capable of pushing the boundaries with her in some way. I didn't know how and in what fashion, but the need to do so literally came out of nowhere, as if I'd had a brilliant Archimedes Eureka moment. And as I sat and contemplated what I wanted to do, everything about my intentions seemed foolproof. I felt possessed to put something into action so stood up and turned the lights off, plunging us into darkness. Mm. Sorry, um, the lights hurt my eyes. I lied as I sat back down. Hope you don't mind. No, not at all. It's your room. Lucy laughed back and we sat and watched the remainder of the episode. 
neither of us saying a word. I don't really know how to explain what happened next. I guess that's because everything that panned out defined that key word called expectation. Leah made a joke and said that now that the lights were out, that I ought to not try any funny business before reaching over, giving me a kiss on the cheek, followed by squeezing my leg, tracing her finger up the inside of my thigh and then leaving it there. I sat there for about a minute, side-eyeing her, waiting for her to move it. But she didn't. So I figured, all was fair in love and war. I figured that was Leah's way of telling me that there was interest. So, when I heard myself tell her to close her eyes, as I had a surprise for her, I didn't expect her to actually do it. I'm sure when she opened her eyes again, she didn't expect to see me naked from the waist down. Nor did I expect her to yelp and laugh out loud <laughs> as if she just won the national lottery. <laughs> I'm not really sure why she laughed like that. I want to say it was because she was nervous, rather than she was actually laughing at me. That would have given me solace. But to be honest, how else is someone supposed to react when they open their eyes and find an overexposed man sitting next to them? You'd have thought showing my penis point blank like that would have made me a tad apprehensive and worried it might backfire. After all, I'd already been labelled a girl pusher, so running the risk of adding flasher and pervert to that list was the last thing I needed. Like I said, rightly or wrongly, I figured Leah's attempt to kiss me and finger dance on the inside of my thigh was the sign I needed to carry on. I had already experienced my fair share of drama, but I was beyond drunk on confidence and tipsy on rosé wine. And with a sweltering ego to match, the situation was only going to ever end one way. And it did. Albeit clumsily. As I lay on top of Leah, rocking back and forth to Justin Timberlake's latest album, I don't know what triggered it, but I found myself to be very underwhelmed. Only this time, I couldn't bring myself to carry on. 
maybe I sobered up and developed a conscience. Or maybe I realised I was capable of doing a lot better than who was directly below me. Whatever the reason, the moment Leah looked up at me, longingly, I knew I couldn't carry on. So I pulled out, rolled off her, and sat up, doing the best I could to look as if I was in inner turmoil. Leah, um, sorry, I, I can't, I can't do this. I lied. I, uh, I can't carry on. I just, um, I, I just like you and I, I, I respect you too much, you know, and I, I just think we ought to wait. Do you not think? Let me tell you, none of that was true. And I couldn't imagine how she must have felt. But I know she'd have felt a lot worse if I'd gone cold. And I wasn't exactly in a position to throw her out without explanation. Because I still held some concern towards her. Getting rid of Jess was different. And even though I'd cut sex off halfway though with Leah, masking my disdain for her seemed the best thing to do. With her confidence seemingly shot to bits, I left her with no choice but to agree we had to stop. Before she told me, she liked me too, thanked me for a good evening, and duly left. I felt a little bad, and I feel even worse now. I won't be a heartless bastard and say otherwise. Things just went a lot further than I envisioned. But no matter what did or didn't happen, getting with her was too easy. And she was too available. And as a result, I very quickly lost interest. Look at it this way. You're running a long distance race. And suddenly, someone pulls up beside you and offers you a taxi ride to the finish line. And you accept, jump in, and then win. You're happy that you finished first, but if you're a decent person, the fact you cheated should leave you wholly unsatisfied. The same thing here applies. The girls I had to work for, the girls I didn't have to just drop my pants to get with, or because I looked a certain way, they were the ones worth fighting for. Leah and Jess were far from being in that group. But it wasn't their fault, because they'd succumbed to my manipulating behaviour, albeit with not much effort. But I did subsequently have both of them eating out of my hand. I could treat Jess like shit and like a one-night stand because it was unlikely I'd ever see her again. But with Leah, I didn't have that luxury. So once she'd left and the dust settled, I did the only thing I knew would work. 
so as not to face any awkward conversations with her. I tried to cut her off and stop texting and speaking to her altogether, which proved difficult considering the circle of friends we shared and where we lived. I guess I was ghosting her before the term ghosting became a thing. Whenever I saw her coming or she was in the company of others, I always pulled out my phone and pretended I had an important call to take. Hello? Yeah, 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 what's going on, man? Sorry, I gotta tell you this, do you mind? Yeah, yeah, sorry, um, yeah, someone was talking to me. Um, yeah, what's going on? And then just left and never came back. A couple of weeks of that behavior passed and soon I stopped seeing her altogether. Harsh as it was, I guess she got the picture. Things just got out of control after that. Almost as if the girls could sense that I was in high demand again. It was like your favorite shop being closed for refurbishment, only to open once more. More wonderful and busier than it ever had before. The attention was never ending and I never complained, but it did mean that I had to be a lot more sneakier than before. Within the next six weeks, I managed to sleep with another three girls. Cheryl Townsend, Sophie Jones, and Amy Williams. Cheryl was a mistake, but I enjoyed it considering how tall she was. Six foot four and a second year nursing student who lived near me. I met her at Crunchy one night, and whilst JJ was busy trying to woo her heavy-set stereotypical German friend, Cheryl and I started talking, mainly because our friends were too busy. Surprisingly enough, we instantly got on, and within two weeks, she'd invited me to her house after a night out to watch a DVD, which I guess is the early version of Netflix and chill. I don't need to go into any detail on this one. You know how it ended. But declining her invitation to stay, I left immediately afterwards, feigning a warden callout. I had a thing about sharing beds with girls and there was no way I was going to wake up next to her. It was bad enough having sex in her single bed without having been made to feel like a Joey kangaroo. Not to mention the trouble we had aligning up our parts. Feeling as if 
I was a contestant in a really sick, twisted version of the crystal maze. It was a bizarre hang-up to have, considering I was so happy to have sex with these girls. But when it came to sharing a bed with them, there was nothing I feared and loathed more. She wasn't at all boring, nor did she annoy me, and we shared a similar sense of humour. But something was missing, and therefore, once I got my weight, I quickly lost interest. She tried to see me more, and even offered sex on tap at every opportunity. But I didn't fancy her, so it was a lost cause. And when she got a boyfriend, the calls, texts, and private Facebook messages ceased. I haven't talked to her since. Next up was Sophie, five foot two small, with copper wire ginger hair and slim, but all combined with the most rotten of cockney and stereotypical London hood rat accents you'd ever find. What are you saying, my dear? Is that you, yeah? Coming to my house trying to 079 me in that, yeah? She was the polar opposite to Cheryl in every way imaginable. What pissed me off is that I only ended up sleeping with her by accident too, as a result of yet another night out at Crunchy with JJ. We'd not long arrived before seeing the drunkest girl I'd personally ever seen dancing by herself on a dance floor. She wasn't inebriated or paralytic, but you could see she was drunk beyond measure. It was one of those can't take your eyes off moments because it hadn't even reached 10 p.m. yet. Yet the girl was as drunk as if it was 3 a.m. All the result of an all day drinking session. I guess her petite, poly pocket size might have had something to do with how drunk she was. But she was the first girl I'd seen who seemed very out of control of her actions. Since then, I've seen a whole lot more. And call me old fashioned, but it's not attractive in the slightest. We stood and watched her beat, shout, and hit at every guy that went near her for about 15 minutes before JJ dared me to go and speak to her. Uh, no, mm -mm, no way, I'm not doing that. I said, you see how she's behaving? Why would I put myself through that? Tell you what, if you can get her number, I'll buy you a couple of drinks. It looked like a challenge considering her behavior, but with three drinks on offer, it was hardly something I was going to turn down. 
the lengths some students will go if it means they can save money holds no bounds. And as I wasn't one to shirk away from dares, even though I really didn't want to do it, I approached the ginger terrier, head held high, although terrified of how she might react, but ready for the anticipated ear bashing. However, it never came. And remarkably, no sooner had I introduced myself, Sophie pounced, grabbing hold of me as if she hadn't seen me for years. And I was once again a victim of someone else shoving their tongue down my throat. I never saw JJ again that night because I ended up leaving with Sophie about an hour later. But only because she was beyond drunk by that point and she was stuck to me like glue. JJ and other friends tried to rescue me, but no matter how hard they tried, Sophie's abusive behavior was too overbearing. So the help was to no avail. I ended up escorting her back to her flat on campus, not before she threw up on the way and I was left with no choice but to stick her in the shower and try and sober her up. I thought I was being quite a gentleman. After all, I'd only just met the girl a couple of hours before and most people in my situation would have left her to her own devices once the sick fest began. But I felt sorry for her and slightly responsible. That does not explain nor justify how I ended up sleeping with her though. It just sort of happened. I needed somewhere to stay that night and she offered me her bed, but I instead took the floor and somehow she insisted on joining me, but only after I made her brush her teeth for the sixth time and drink half a bottle of mouthwash. After that, I want to say we took advantage of each other, but I'd be lying. And once again was manhandled and guilted into sex by a woman a lot smaller than myself. Given the events of the night, I didn't want to feel like it was a wasted time out. So I gave in and let her do her thing. However, always making sure that kisses were a no-go zone. Mm -mm, no, I can't. I just didn't want to take that risk. I left her asleep on the floor and still short of money for a taxi, walked home instead. I didn't want to see her again, and I was mad at myself for again letting someone so out of my league get their way with me 
because it went against every single one of my rules. When you're made to feel, you can get whatever you want, whenever you want. Things become no longer exciting. And with everything very much at my disposal, there was no room left for a challenge. Besides challenging my patience, once sex was over. The sex itself was pretty forgettable. Although give Sophie her dues, it was better than the previous three, but wasn't hard going considering. I was having a real issue saying no to girls, but then on the other hand, I can't lay all the responsibility at their door. I made things 10 times harder for myself than they needed to be. And I sometimes enjoyed the drama that came with it. However, chasing for the sake of chasing only goes so far. And I was always left feeling like something was missing and couldn't for the life of me figure out what it was. In such a short period of time, I'd become an arsehole. I was cold. I was manipulative. I made these girls think that they were the only girls in the entire world. And even those, I felt the slightest sign of more than physical attraction to, or those I only engaged in sex with, Alarm bells rung incessantly in my head and I was faced with a fight or flee decision. I always took flee and in short, that made me a committophobe. The boy who once wanted nothing more than a girlfriend had turned into a man who wanted nothing more than to be alone. It was a very sad state of affairs and one that I knew I couldn't address overnight. So I discussed my situation with Lauren during a shift at work one evening. And after listening to every tale of debauchery over the past month, she agreed too that I loved nothing more than the chase. Frankly, none of these girls are girlfriend material anyway, Liam. She said. Do you really want to be in a relationship with someone who has sex with you straight away? Well, when you put it that way, mm -mm. no, of course not. I replied, but it's not easy when these girls are throwing themselves at me. <laughs> you need patience and to learn to keep your dick in your pants. That's about as much advice I can give you. She laughed. She was right, as always, and I can't fault her for that. She was the only person who assured me time and time again that someone would come along and restore my faith in relationships. She felt I needed someone who would keep me on my toes and not allow me to get my own way all the time, because essentially... That is what I had been doing. But even that was asking a lot. 
because I knew my character was overwhelming. And subconsciously, I wasn't ready to give up being the dominating one in any relationship, be it friendship or more than. I took her advice, before I then relapsed a week and a half later, and ended up sleeping with Amy Williams. Amy was a first-year drama student, who I met during one of my repeat modules, and like all the rest, we got on straight away. She was slim, somewhat pretty, in an alluring I wonder what she's like, sort of way, with really short brunette hair. Short hair didn't do it for me, and I'd lived a very sheltered life up until then. So besides Eliza, I'd not been around or seen too many girls with short hair. It wasn't a preference, and putting aside the fact she spoke like Stacy Slater from EastEnders. I don't know what she's talking about, Nan. I weren't at a hospital. She's mad. You know what she's like. She just makes things up, silly girl. She was actually a very intelligent girl. And I think that was what I found most attractive about her. And then sought to get to know her. Sorry, you're, um, you're Amy, right? Yeah, my name's Liam. Um, I think we're in the same classes together. Just thought I'd come over and say hello to you. So, how you doing? I didn't waste time and swapped numbers with her for strictly lecture and seminar reasons. And it wasn't long before we were texting each other on a semi-regular basis. She made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, you're funny, you know. And like Cheryl before her, we shared the same sense of humour. And I later found out she was sought after by a lot of other guys in and around uni. On paper and in person, she gave me the impression she'd have been good girlfriend material. But I was wrong. And I realized this the first time we went out as a group. Put simply, Amy did not know how to handle her drink. And a drink or two too many meant you be fraternizing with the little girl from The Exorcist. That doesn't mean to say she was aggressive. I don't think she had an aggressive bone in her body. But trying to get a convo out of her after a few drinks was almost impossible. Hey, you get me a drink then? Sorry, say again? A drink. <laughs> Stop a minute. A what? A drink. A drink. Right. Don't you think you've had enough? I don't want to sound mean, but I can't describe to you how hideous and disgusting she was, drunk. 
with her speech slurred and beyond comprehension, her face contorted and her eyes bloodshot. I lost count the amount of times the once relatively pretty girl Dr. Jekyll was on garden leave and was replaced by annoying, repulsive Mr. Hyde. But nevertheless, I still ended up in bed with her, even though I don't even remember how. There were flashes of the occasional entwined bodies and kisses exchanged, but anything more was all assumption. And I had the stupid amounts of cocaine and vodka I consumed that night to answer for that. You can then imagine my surprise to find her squashed in my single bed the next morning. So peaceful and cute that I almost felt bad waking her up and telling her I had a flat inspection later that morning just so I could get her to leave. Yeah, I'm really sorry, you know. I forgot about the inspection. Yeah, 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 we have one once a week. Mm. Sorry, but I'll, um, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely call you later. Mm. Alright, see ya. As nice as Amy was by day, she was a pain in the ass by night. Amy, please get up. Help me get her up, please. And the idea of looking after her every time we would go out was enough to wipe away every good impression. Nope, mm -mm. I'm not doing this anymore. No way, no. It didn't make sense trying to maintain something with someone if it was going to be a constant battle with one step forward and two steps back every single time. An older, more mature me would have spoken to her and addressed the concerns I had. But I wasn't interested, nor did I want the presumed confrontation. So like clockwork, my attention in her was shut off and we went back to being nothing more than coursemates. I did not make a mistake with her. Maybe I could have helped, but I didn't want a project, nor did she ask to be changed. And anyway, there was no guarantees I'd have been able to quell that really awful quality in her. It also became disheartening, only being able to exchange head nods or rise smiles with someone once you've been intimate with them. But I did not dwell on it. And she very quickly joined the ranks of all the other previous girls before her. I took some time out for a couple of weeks after that. I had to. The bed hopping 
wasn't doing me any good. And although I didn't care very much for these girls, my conscience said otherwise. The locals weren't offering me anything in terms of stimulation. And the university ones thus far all came with additional baggage that I wasn't willing to carry with them. I told myself that when the time was right, I needed to find someone that was my equal in every way imaginable. In intelligence, dominance, looks, attitude, and sense of humor. I wasn't asking for a lot. Those girls were out there. I just had to wait and not force the issue. And I told myself a few months alone would see to that. So, when my fling with Eliza happened, my devout Christian housemate with a long-term boyfriend, the experience would shock me to my very core. Because nobody, absolutely nobody, could have seen that one coming. <laughs> 